You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. When I was growing up, I always loved going over to my friend's house. I mean, having friends over was fun too, but when I had friends over to my house, it meant I had to clean my room and be on my best behavior. And usually when we got in trouble, I was the one who took the brunt of the discipline. But when I went over to a friend's house, it was a different story. Didn't have to clean my room, had a new house to explore, and when we got in trouble, usually my friend was the one who got the discipline. I assumed that the consequences of my actions weren't going to be faced at my friend's house until I learned that wasn't always the case. See, back when I was in grade school, at the end of summer, I got invited over to a friend's house who had just moved into a new house. And on top of that, it was in a new subdivision that they were still building. So there was tons to explore. And once we got there, we spent the, the morning exploring this new house they had just moved into. And finally, we inevitably got bored and wanted to go outside. And of course, his mother was more than willing to send us outside. But before we left, she gave us a stern warning. Do not go near the construction. Now, we mostly intended to obey that command. And we started by just observing it from a distance. And then we realized that just outside of the construction zone was this pond. And, of course, it's not in the construction zone, so that seems okay, right? But as we got closer to this pond, we realized what we thought was a pond was actually a large puddle. And surrounding this large puddle was a big pit of mud. And as we began walking towards what we thought was a pond, our steps got heavier and heavier until my right leg sank knee-deep into the mud. Oh, and did I mention I was wearing my new school shoes? That I wasn't supposed to get dirty before school. Well, my friend hopped into action, and he began heaving me and hoeing me, and finally tore my leg free, and I sprung to freedom. Well, every bit of me except for that new school suit that was still at the bottom of the pit. In a moment of desperation, we both dove in headfirst and started clawing and scratching to get that pit open and started heaving the shoe out of the mud. Finally, we got the thing free. And there we were standing, covered head to toe with a ball of mud that vaguely resembled a shoe. So I realized that my actions indeed had consequences. It's an important lesson for us to learn especially when it comes to sin. Now, there's a lot of Christians here in this room, and we may think from time to time, well, I'm saved by grace, and therefore, I don't have to face the consequences for my sins. But we need to understand this morning that sin has devastating consequences, whether you're in God's people or out of God's people. As we dive into the book of Genesis and we look at four characters this morning, we will see that sin can certainly have consequences on our lives. Now, you'll remember last week, we were in the beginning of Genesis 27, and we stepped into the middle of a family feud. Basically, what was going on was Isaac was on his deathbed. 
He was going blind, and he was preparing to bless one of his children, and he chose his oldest son, Esau. But when Isaac relayed his plan to Esau, and Isaac sent him out to go kill an animal and prepare a feast for the ceremony, his wife, Rebekah, was overhearing. And rather than have Esau blessed, she said, and Jacob disguised as Esau to sneak in while Esau was gone and to steal the blessing. In the text, it seems like Rebekah and Jacob got away scot-free. But we also saw that each and every one of these individuals acted sinfully. This morning, we'll see that they will have to face the consequences for their actions. And as we dive in and face these four characters, we will see four consequences that sin can have on our lives. So if you will, please open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 27. We will be in verse 41, and we'll be going through to chapter 28, verse 9. The first consequence we'll be looking at this morning, number one, is that sin destroys relationships. Read with me in verse 41 to 45. It says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her son, younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you. And he forgot what you had done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Now, as we open up our text, we learn that Esau isn't going to take his brother's deception lying down. In fact, his plan is, after Isaac dies, he's going to wait for a period of mourning, and after that is over, he's going to kill Jacob. But we also hear that Rebekah overhears this plan, and she snaps into action. Now, what I want you to notice here is that Rebekah is acting in the same way she acted in our passage last week. Last week, we saw her standing just outside the tent as Isaac was talking to Esau. And once she heard that plan, she schemed and she plotted in order to take control of the situation. And here in our text, we're seeing the same thing. Here she is overhearing Isaac, uh, Esau's plan, and now she's scheming a plan of her own to control the situation. What we saw is that Rebecca had these control issues that rather than trusting God with the situation, she's trying to take things into her own hands. And see, that's what sin often does to our lives. It compounds and it, and it grows, and once we get caught in one sin we often end up trying to commit another sin to get ourselves out of it. It's like telling a lie and then having to tell another lie to get yourself out of the situation. And that's what sin does in our lives. That's what James says in James chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth death. See, James is giving us a warning that once we continue pat down this path of, of sin, sin becomes our only option. We have cornered ourselves and, and, and made our only escape to continue in the sin that we committed. 
And that's what's happening to Rebecca here in the text. She's scrambling to deal with the consequences of her actions, and while she's doing so, she's driving a wedge between her and the people that she loves. You see, we've already seen that Jacob is, or that Rebecca is worried about losing Jacob. She says, why should I be bereft of you both in one day? She's concerned that Esau is going to come in and kill her son. But you'll note she's also concerned about losing another. She says, why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Now, it's hard to know which is this other one she's talking about. Now, it could be Isaac who's about to die here very soon, or so they suppose. Or it could be Esau. You see, if Esau slips in and murders Jacob, she's going to lose him as well. What she's realizing is that the relationships around her are breaking down. We've already found out that she has lied and deceived her blind husband. She has she has schemed to steal from her older son, Esau, and now she's about to send Jacob on a 21-day journey to her brother. And the sad part about this is while she believes that someday she'll be able to bring Jacob home, she'll actually die before Jacob ever comes back from the land of Haran. You see, Rebecca has put herself in a situation where she's driving a wedge between her and her family. And that's the pattern that we see all throughout the book of Genesis. You see, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we saw once Adam and Eve committed sin, they drove a wedge between themselves and God. And then from there on out, the relationship between Adam and Eve and their children started to break down. We saw relationships being destroyed one after another. And what we have to understand this morning is that when we allow sin to exist in our relationships, it'll destroy the people around us. Sin has the the ability to break down families, tear apart marriages, and ruin friendships. You see, well, sin will deceive us into thinking that the only way to save our relationships is to sin our way out. We have to understand that telling the truth is always better. You see, the irony that's happening here in our text is that while Rebecca thinks she is saving her family, she's actually driving them away from the solution. You see, she believes that Isaac's death is imminent. But the reality is is that Isaac is going to live another 80 years. So this plan of Esau's to kill his brothers is never actually going to be able to happen because Isaac is going to stand in the way. You see, Rebecca has become so deceived into thinking that her sin is the only solution. Sin will distract us and blind us from what God is doing, doing and keeping us from the route that God has set before us. And that leads us to the second consequence of sin that we see this morning. Consequence number two, sin blinds us to God's plan. Read with me in verse 46. It says, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of these Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women, 
like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now, what Rebecca is talking about here goes back to Genesis chapter 26. At the end of 26, we find out that Esau has married two women of the land. And these women make life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So what she is doing here to try and manipulate the situation is playing off of Isaac's emotions. She's throwing salt in an open wound. She is twisting the knife to try to bring about her own purpose. And we see here how Isaac re- reacts to the situation. Chapter 28, 1 to 5, it says this. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padam Aran, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to the land of Padam Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now, there's two things here I want you to note about Esau's reaction. Number one, we see him blessing Jacob with the blessing of Abraham. And this is exactly what he's supposed to be doing. What we've learned so far in the text is that God is calling Jacob. We learn that even before Jacob was born, this is the one that God is choosing. So it makes sense that he gives Jacob Abraham's blessing. This is the blessing that would carry on the family line. And though Isaac didn't initially realize that Jacob was the one, finally he's coming to the right conclusion and doing what he's supposed to be doing. But that's what makes his second reaction so strange and confusing. You see, we also see that Isaac sends Jacob away from the land of the Canaanites. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but if we remember back to when Abraham was trying to get Isaac a wife, God gave them a very stern warning. Do not leave the land. In order to abide by that that commandment, Abraham grabbed one of his servants and sent him back to the land of Haran in order to get Isaac a wife. And he came back with Rebekah. God moved in the situation to bring about his purpose. But rather than trust God's purpose, Isaac tries to take things into his own hands. We see here that he's blind to what God is doing, even though God has already done it in his own life. And while God will ultimately use Jacob being sent away to shape and mold his heart and will bring him back to the land of the Canaanites, it's not because of Isaac. It's in spite of Isaac. You see, Isaac has blinded himself to what God is doing. He is only looking straight forward uh, before what is in front of him. And for us, he so perfectly resembles a Christian who has made a genuine profession of faith, but is living the way the world lives. In church, I have to admit that I so well relate to what Isaac is doing here. You see, early on in my life, in high and into my early adult life, I had strayed from God. There was one point in my life where it had been over 10 years since I had picked up a Bible or gone to church, and I was living in brokenness and sin. 
I kept wondering why I struggled with so much guilt and conviction when I was only doing what the people around me were doing. It's because I was a Christian trying to live the way the world lives. I was tearing up my heart, and I thought the only option before me was what the world was telling me I needed to do because I had turned away from God's Word. You see, Christians, we have to lean in to God's understanding. We have to pour through His Scripture and discern His world rather than listening to the voices of the world. When we tune out God, when we tune out his word, we tune out the path to righteousness. We find ourselves blind like Isaac, wandering down a path that God has not called us to. And if we continue down this path, we have to understand that it will lead to destruction. That brings us to the third consequence of sin this morning. Consequence number three, sin leads to self-destruction. Read with me in chapter 28, verses 6 through 9. It says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that he had blessed him, and he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw the Canaanite women, did not please his father Isaac, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wife he had, Matthaoth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. Now as we continue on in our text, we learn that Esau has a major problem. Not only has Isaac blessed Jacob, now he is clearly receiving the blessing of Abraham. Now, in this situation, Esau is scrambling to do what is right, and he's finally coming to a conclusion he should have came to a long time ago. Probably shouldn't have married those Canaanite women. And for us, this is a a reminder to look back and understand what's been going on in the book of Genesis. You see, there's two family lines running through the whole book of Genesis. On one side, you have the line of promise. This is the people who are following after God, who are carrying on his promise that one day he will rise up a son of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent and put an end to sin and death. But on the other side, we have another family line. In this family line is the family line of sin. Rather than following after God, they were running away from God and doing what's right in their own eyes. And while Abraham and his family followed down that line of promise, these Canaanite women follow the other line, the line that leads to destruction. You see, Esau has tuned out what God has been doing in the book of Genesis. He is married to women like everybody does in the land, and he's wandering down the road to destruction. I want you to understand about Esau's heart here. Notice what it says in verse 8. It says, so when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father. Did you catch that? You see, he's not concerned about what's pleasing to God. He's concerned about pleasing his father. You see, he's completely tuned out what God is doing, and he's, he's striving after earthly blessings rather than the heavenly blessings. See, he's so 
distracted from what God is doing in his family that he continues to cut himself further and further out of the people of God. Notice here his solution. Rather than turning and seeking understanding and repenting from what he does, he goes out and gets a wife from the Ishmaelites. Now, that seems like a good solution, right? Ishmael is a son of Abraham. Therefore, it works. Abraham's family, line of promise. But we have to remember what's been happening in the book of Genesis. You see, Ishmael has been cut off from God's people. He's over here on this other line who strayed the other way and is following after sin and death. On top of that, Ishmael is hostile to his brother Isaac. You see, this isn't a solution. You see, what Esau is trying to do here is trying to cover up bad with good. He thinks, if I can just tip the scales in good, then I'll be blessed. Then my father will care, care for me. Then I will have the blessing. We have to understand that we cannot cover up evil with good. It's not the way that sin works. Nobody stands before a judge and says, well, I know I'm a murderer, but I'll just go do some good things and I'll make up for it. In the Bible, God takes sin extremely seriously. Trying to cover up evil with good is like trying to put a clean shirt over a muddy shirt. It does not work. Just because we appear clean to the world does not mean we appear clean to the eyes of God. You see, Esau is walking down this path of destruction and doesn't even realize it. If you're here this morning and you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you don't think that your life is broken and evil, you have to understand that God takes sin seriously. If you're not willing to turn from your path and seek after seek after God's understanding, you have to understand that this road leads to destruction. I promise you this morning that we will see hope for you in our text. But before we do that, we have to look at one more consequence that sin has in our lives. Consequence number four, sin steals our narrative. Now, you may have noticed that we've reached the end of our text but we still have one more character to deal with, and that's Jacob. Now, what we expect of Jacob is to take center stage. I mean, Jacob is the one who's called by God. Jacob is the patriarch who's supposed to be leading his family. But Jacob falls strangely behind the scenes here in our text. You'll notice that it's Esau who steps up and plans to kill Jacob. And then it's Rebekah who overhears that plan and then schemes to trick Isaac. And then it's Isaac who will ultimately send Jacob away to the land of Padam Aran. You see, Jacob has lost control of his story. By allowing sin to overcome his life and sin, uh, sinful plans to, to be his only option, Jacob has became a passive partner in the relationships with his family. Jacob has relinquished control of the situation and made sin his only option. He's being pushed and pulled in every direction and has no choices to make of his own. 
You see, the goal of sin is to ensnare you, to trap you in your situation and make you feel like you have no options. Once again, church, I understand this situation extremely well. Back in my early 20s, when I was wandering away from God, I remember feeling trapped in my lifestyle. I was drowning in alcoholism and drug abuse. I was living with a girl who was hostile to Christianity, and I felt trapped. I remember thinking that there's no way I could go back to church because those people would never accept me. Ultimately, God came into my life. His grace transformed me and brought me back around to be back on path with his purpose. But first, I had to deal with the consequences of my sin. And what we'll see Jacob here ultimately be transformed into the patriarch we know him to be, the one who will father Israel, the one who will be a great man, but first he must deal with the consequences of his actions. Sin has consequences. When we let sin rule our life and control us, we find ourselves in a path where we feel stuck in the mud. We find ourselves ensnared in situations where we feel helpless and hopeless, like sin is our only option, where we have no avenue in the way out. When we let sin rule us, we feel like our only path is destruction. But the hope of our text this morning is that while we see the actions play out in Jacob's life here in an earthly sense, we see that there is an eternal salvation. And for those here this morning who feel like they are stuck and caught in their sin, there is an option here for you this morning. For those of you who feel stuck in the mud, consider these four applications. Application number one, recognize that you are a sinner. You see, for us this morning, we have to realize that we need to call what God calls sin, sin. If God says, if the Bible says that something is broken and wicked, we have to agree with our Creator. God is the one who spoke out heaven and earth. God is the one who shaped our galaxy. And if God calls it sin, it is sin. We have to be willing to step up and say that I am broken. I am in need and help. I am caught in sin. And once we've recognized ourselves to be sinners, our second application is to repent. For those of you here this morning who don't understand the biblical idea of repentance, repentance means to change your mind or to turn around. Basically, what repentance is in the Bible is to stop walking down our own road, doing what's right in our own eyes, and turn to God. Turn to the one who is the author of our salvation. Turn to the one who is willing to accept us home. Turn to the one who knows good and evil and accept what he says is right. Repenting means turning away from our old lifestyle and turning to a new lifestyle that follows after the righteousness of God. And once we have repented, our third application is to accept God's grace. 
See, one of the traps of sin is to think that your shame, your guilt will be borne on you forever. Well, that's certainly true if we try to continue down the path we are going into the path of destruction. But once God has said we are forgiven, we are forgiven. God's grace is so abundant that it can cover up every area of sin in our life. It can overcome every brokenness that we, we feel. It can rescue us from any situation you are in this morning. God's grace is enough. And God's grace is for you. And this fourth and last application is the most important. So lean in with me here this morning. Application number four is to trust in Jesus. You see, if we understand ourselves to be sinners, if we understand that we cannot rescue ourselves, it means that we need a rescuer. You see, our sin is too great and too abundant for us to rescue ourselves, but Jesus is enough. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life, who bore our sins on the cross, who took the circumstances of our situation, not just able, but willingly took your sins on his shoulders. We have to trust in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can bear the weight of our consequences. Jesus is the only one who can take the actions and the the faults that we have faced. Jesus is the only one who can give us forgiveness. We need Jesus. But maybe you're like me here this morning, and your response to sin, your instinct when you sin is to commit more sin. There's hope for you this morning. You see, I remember back when I was a kid and we were standing covered head to toe in mud, holding that muddy shoe and thinking, I got to think of a way out of this situation. Well, maybe we could just explain to my, my friend's mother that the mud puddle wasn't actually in the construction area. Maybe we could say that there was another mud puddle that wasn't even close to the construction. Or maybe we could run home and try to hose off real quick and act like we just got wet. But to my dismay, when we made it back to my friend's mother's house, he began retelling the details of the story exactly as it happened. I stood there with my jaw on the the ground, waiting for the rebuke, but I'll never never forget the response of my friend's mother. She looked at us and she smiled and said, let's get you clean. Over the next two hours, she hosed us down. She scrubbed our clothes, washed our shoes. I tell you, when she gave me back those shoes, they were whiter than anything I had ever seen. You need to know this morning that Jesus' grace is for you. Whether you're a Christian here and you're wrestling with this brokenness and you're afraid to let your shame show, you have to understand that the same grace that came into your life when you first accepted Jesus is the grace that stands before you here this morning. No matter how far you stray, no matter how far you go, no matter how much brokenness or sin plagues your life, Jesus is your forgiveness. And for you here this morning, who are not following after Christ, 
I have to give you a stern warning. If you continue down your path, it can only lead to destruction. Sin will be condemned. But there's hope for you this morning. If you are willing to repent of your life, to accept the grace of Jesus Christ, His grace is for you this morning. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. Though you are covered in the mud and the brokenness of sin, Jesus will make you white. I urge you this morning to consider the consequences of your sin. And while repenting and turning to Jesus won't turn away our earthly consequences, realize that if you have Jesus Christ, the eternal consequence for you is eternal life. We have this hope in Jesus that we have been washed white as snow. Accept Jesus this morning. Accept His grace. And now as we go to a time of worship, I urge you to confess your sins and worship in the holy and beloved name of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the love that we have in Jesus Christ. You truly have borne our sin and borne the consequences of our actions. You have given us a grace that we do not deserve. You have given us an abundant love, an abundant life that we could never earn on our own. And we simply come, lifting high the name of Jesus, glorifying him for, for living his perfect life and for giving us the love that we do not deserve. We pray these good and perfect things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.